This is the week that I finally turn 29. <laughs> Plus four. <laughs> and I love it because there's always something special about being a summer kid. I don't have to worry about being in school. Uh, I don't have to share a birthday with another gift-giving holiday. And you just can't beat the weather. Anyone else here uh, a summer baby? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. We, we live for summer. And, and having a summer birthday is great because all we know is the pool and a good time. It wasn't that long ago that my family got together for a, a summer's birthdays party. Uh, but it wasn't just any party. It was a pirate-themed pool party. I mean, we went all out. We had a treasure chest. We had treasure, pirate's booty, uh, the snack, uh, food, cake, and our finest pirate costumes. There was so much energy in the room, and especially because my nephews and my kids were involved. I mean, they just bring so much energy, and, and it was a great time. But there was a point during the party where I just remember sitting down and crashing, like really, really hard. And I'm passed out in a lounge chair uh, with two eye patches that are covering my eyes. I've got some fake earrings. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'm drooling from my mouth. And I just remember waking up and almost everyone had left. I mean, I had, I had slept for like two hours. <laughs> and so I stand here before you as kind of an example of what it's like to be in the summer slump. It's points in the season where we find ourselves in the low. You know, all these commitments all these other extra things that we kind of tackle on and just catch up to us. And it's during these months that our motivation, they seem to wane and our vibrant spirits, they just, they just dim. And the same could be said for our spiritual lives. Regardless of whether or not you're a follower of Jesus, we kind of hit these dips. But sometimes our slumps, they come in different forms. Our hurts, brokenness, they can be seen on the outside but rarely can they be seen from the inside. And we're great at presenting our best selves. Right? We wake up each Sunday morning, dress, come to church, smile, even if we have to fake it. Right? We're, we're so great at presenting our best selves. But what are we like on the inside? How vulnerable are we willing to be with ourselves, with others, what do we do in those desperate times of need? Who do we look to? And how do we respond? And so today I actually want to kind of expand on that. And so if you have your Bible or your Bible app, I would like to draw your attention to the book of Mark. And we're actually going to be in chapter 5, verse 25. And if you're new to the Christian faith or if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, Mark is in the New Testament and it's part of what we call the Gospels or the good news of Jesus and in fact, Mark is one of the shortest Gospels, uh, and it's belief because Mark is just not much into detail, but he just gets straight to the point. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's believed that Matthew and Luke actually draw from Mark, which is why you contain more detail. But one of the great things about Mark is that he gets straight to the point, and there are many stories about Jesus, his miracles, and the things that he does that we can relate to. And we're going to look at a powerful passage of unwavering faith, perseverance, and the miraculous power of Jesus. And so if you're in Mark chapter 5, verse 25, just, just hold on there. We'll get there. 
But let me start by, by sharing a story. So many of you know that I was born and raised in California and came out here later on in life. And so I had been living here for about six years, and up to this point, storms hadn't really phased me. Uh, I, I hadn't, like, grown that instinct. Like, my wife, she'll wake up, and sometimes she'll just smell the air, and she's like, there's a storm coming. I'm like, how do you know this? She's like, I just smell it. It's in the air. There's a storm coming. Sure enough, like, two hours later, this massive storm that just comes, and she's like, yeah, I told you. The other day, it looked like it was going to rain, and I was like, I think there's a storm coming. She's like, nah, there's nothing happening here. <laughs> nothing happened. <laughs> so, but, but at that point, storms hadn't really phased me, but I hadn't really encountered a storm that made me feel helpless or afraid. And so it was spring, and I was driving to an unfamiliar part of town for a graduation party. And what I hadn't realized is that I was driving into a massive storm. Everything on the east side was sunny, it was great. I'm driving to the west side, and all of a sudden, things just turn gray and dark. And I had always heard that if you don't like the weather here in Kansas, just wait 10 minutes. So, I, you know, I'm like, okay. I, I grew a little confident. I'm like, ah, no big deal, you know, 10 minutes. Maybe the sun will come out. But all of a sudden, this storm just unleashed its wrath on the road. I mean, sheets of rain fell from the sky. They blurred my vision. The road turned into a river. The windshield wipers, they just moved furiously from side to side. I couldn't keep up with the downpour. Honestly, I had no idea that my windshield wipers even had a setting like that. I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> and, and things got worse quickly. I, I couldn't see anything, but I could hear all, all these urgent messages. Uh, the weatherman finally came on the radio. My phone started screaming at me. You know, those random alarms that you get. Uh, and then the tornado sirens started going off. And I could hear the sirens go off. I was nowhere near a quick trip or a safe place. Um, I was in a residential neighborhood. And, and I knew where I was going, but I didn't know where I was yet. And all of a sudden, the weatherman comes on the radio and he says, if you're on this side of town, seek shelter immediately. We think there's a rain-wrapped tornado that's going to hit your side of town. I'm like, that's where I'm at. I'm like, what do I do? I don't know where to go. <laughs> Everyone else... They found a place to hide. I'm driving on the road. I remember there were cars all around me. And then I look around trying to find somewhere to, to hide and seek shelter. And all the cars had disappeared. I'm like, where did everybody go? It was like a scene out of Revelation. I'm like, what, what, what's going on here? I wasn't lost. I was stuck out in the open. And I didn't have a feel for what to do. I'm going to go ahead and tell you the end of the story because if not, you probably won't listen to anything else I have to say. But uh, I, I found a place to park, got out of the car in the rain. I just remember just beelining it to a house with the door open. And it turned out that I was actually my friend's house. And so somehow I found my way to this neighborhood, to his house without even knowing. And everyone was in the basement. They were like, come, 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 come. Like, let's go, let's go down to the basement. And I, and I waited out the storm. But it doesn't take a whole lot to create or experience disaster. You know, we each carry our own burdens. They can be physical, emotional, or spiritual. And we face difficulties that seem insurmountable, causing us to feel isolated, lost, or without hope. And they come in different forms. They can be emotional distress, feelings of anxiety and constant worrying, 
bad medical report. Uh, maybe your relationship just turned sideways. And that one person that you thought you were going to spend forever with is no longer there. Maybe it's an unexpected death, a midlife crisis. Maybe it's a, a faith crisis. Your walk with Jesus up to this point has been so black and white. It's been so clear. Like everything that you've heard, everything that you've listened to, it makes sense. But now you kind of find yourself in this gray area where everything is just this tension and you just really don't know what to do. So how do you deal with that? Where do we run to in desperate times? So let's return to, to our verse here. Mark chapter 5 verse 25 says, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So Mark is trying to tell us something here. And this is actually part of a much bigger passage, and I want us to look at that. Because then we're going to get some context, but also kind of the key insights for ourselves when we hit a slump. So let's take a look at how we get here. Uh, Mark tells us in chapter 4 that Jesus gets in a boat with his disciples, and he falls asleep. A huge storm comes up. Waves poured into the boat, threatening to sink it. And Jesus was in the stern, head on a pillow, sleeping. And the disciples, afraid that they're going to die, they wake Jesus up, telling him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Mark 4.39 says that Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They arrive on the other side, and Jesus is immediately men met by a man possessed by a legion of demons that no one could restrain. He couldn't be chained, couldn't be tied down. No one was strong enough to tame him. But we're told that when he saw Jesus a long way off, he ran and bowed in worship before him. Mark 5, 7, the demon-possessed man shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most high God, because Jesus had ordered the demons to come out. So a large herd of pigs was grazing and ruined on a nearby hill, and the demons begged Jesus by saying, send us to the pigs so that we can live in them. And Jesus gave the order, and the demons went into the pigs, and the pigs so overwhelmed by this, they ran off the edge of the cliff and into the sea and drowned. And those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it 
told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. So what does Jesus do? Does he impose himself? Does he force his way because he's the son of God? No. (laughs) He grants the request. He gets on a boat and he leaves. And he makes his way to the other side where a large crowd is waiting for him, including Jairus, one of the synagogue leaders. And when Jairus sees Jesus, he falls to his knees beside himself and begs for Jesus to heal his 12-year-old daughter. And Jesus goes with him. And the whole crowd tagging along, pushing and jostling him. Other accounts tell us that crowds were pressing. They were close. They were pressing Jesus. For some in the crowd, Jesus and his miracles were the talk of the town. They were the best thing that had happened in a long time. And others were pressing on him because they have heard that good things happen when you get close to this miracle-working rabbi. But as far as we can tell from the text, no one was getting close for the purpose of submitting to him. And that is often how it is with the crowds. And it is here that Mark interjects the story and that Jesus is intercepted by this woman, by this desperate need. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. These details are important. This woman had been bleeding for 12 years, which according to Jewish law, she was ceremonially unclean. This prohibited her from temple worship which is where she had to go to get right with God. And yet for the last 12 years, this woman would have seen herself as being unacceptable to God. And if that's not bad enough, her condition, anyone who has contact with her is also unclean. And no one would ever knowingly want to touch her. No one would ever knowingly want to touch her. But notice the relentless progression of her condition. She has a bleeding condition. She seeks the help of others, but she doesn't get any better. Mark 5, 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? Disciples, their response, they're just like, Jesus, what are, you ta- what are you talking about? Do you see all these people around you? What do you mean who touched you? We're, we're all so gathered and, and clumped up here. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet, you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, 
knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Her plan to remain anonymous had failed. And all she can do is fall down in a trembling state before Jesus and share his story and how she had been healed. But she wasn't just sharing it to Jesus. Everyone else got to hear her story. And everyone listened. It was a story of being unacceptable, unclean, desperate, afflicted, shame, Jesus, touch, healed. And the whole crowd would have been silent hearing this story, but also waiting for Jesus to respond. What was Jesus going to do? How was this miracle-working rabbi going to treat her? What was she going to say? How was this town, how was this community going to treat her after that? See, I've always been fascinated with words because words have a tremendous power. And let me tell you, uh, Hispanics, we love to give each other nicknames. Um, they're like gifts from our families that they just keep on giving. And it's all in good love. I mean, so if you get a nickname from someone in my family, we love you, okay? So it's all in good love. Uh, my name is David, but my father's name is also David. And so my family calls me Davisito, which means Davy boy. So for as long as I live, I will always be Davy boy. Or my mom, she'll always call me by my middle name. It's so unique uh, that it doesn't matter where we go, where I'm at at the house. I can be in the basement, she can be upstairs, and she can be like, Jashrael! I'm like, get mama! You know, I can be far, 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 far away, but, but I can hear it. I hear it in my voice. <laughs> in fact, my mom's here right now. She's laughing back there in the corner. <laughs> my dad, in his hometown, he's the legendary Filin, which means catfish, because he was a great swimmer. He always tells these stories about how him and his buddies would go down to the river and they would just like fish, just foom, 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 like they would just dodge each other. I'm like, wow. <laughs> so we went back and we visited his hometown and I tried to introduce myself. Hey, my name is David. Um, I'm the son of David. And they were like, who? Uh, oh, I'm, my name is David. I'm the son of Feline. Oh, Philine, oh man, let, let me tell you about your dad. When he would get in the water, he was like, catfish this and beeline that, boom, 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 boom. No one could catch him. Oh man, he was so great. And then there's my cousin, Little Messi, um, kind of like the soccer player, because all he wants to do is play soccer. And those are some really big shoes to fill. Um, but his real name is... <laughs> I, I don't know his real name. <laughs> no, one, no one really knows. <laughs> I, was, I was asking my parents, I'm like, you guys talk about Little Messi a lot. Like, what's his real name? They were like, you know, we don't know. <laughs> like, his whole life, he's just going to go by Little Messi. So, words and labels, they have such a huge meaning. 
because maybe there have been words or labels that have been spoken over us that we carry to this very day. And some of those words have started to define us. Pastor and writer Erwin McManus says, Unfortunately, the people who have the greatest influence in our lives rarely understand the power of their words to shape who we become. They never fully understand that what informs us forms us. Words spoken into a soul are like the hands of a potter pressed against wet clay. So what labels have been placed on you? What words have been spoken over you? You know, no matter what has been said or has been spoken to you, let me be clear. You matter. You have infinite value. You are unconditionally loved. There's a God that adores you. And I don't get it. And when Jesus stepped into humanity, it was for you. So what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't condemn this woman. He restates the relationship and he fully restores her. He said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus is never content to just rescue a person. He also wants that person to be fully restored. And so what does Jesus see when he sees her? What does Jesus see when he sees us? He said, daughter, he saw a child of God. He sees you as a child of God. And he tells her to go in peace. Now, peace is the Greek word for the Hebrew word shalom. So he tells her, go in shalom, which we lose a lot of the meaning there because the implication is go, be reconciled with God, the community, yourself, and God's creation. And so we can find comfort knowing that he cares about all of us even the people who would be shunned by the crowds, people who have been disappointed by other sources of relief, and people too tired to do anything but to crawl to his feet. But our story doesn't end there. See, there was someone else in desperate need of Jesus, and his name was Jairus. And while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus. See, Jairus could have easily imposed himself. He could have said, no, 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 Jesus. Like, you're here for me. We're, we're going to my house, remember? He could have said, don't heal her. She's unclean. But he doesn't do that. And in fact, we're told that he's here watching this. His faith is being strengthened as well. And so a report comes to Jairus, the synagogue leader, and we're told that he's told, Jairus, your daughter is dead. 
they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Have you ever gotten news so bad that you've just lost all hope? Like, this is it. I, at the end of the rope here, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. Just believe. So here's the bigger story. Mark points out that there are three responses to Jesus. Fear, faith, and rejection. And so the daughter of Jairus is healed. And then Jesus returns to his hometown. And he gives a lecture at a meeting place and actually he makes a pretty good impression. But at the same time, they reject him. They said, he's just a carpenter. Isn't that Mary's boy? If we know your, your brothers, we know your sisters. We've known this guy, Jesus, since he was a kid. Who does he think he is? And so we're told that Jesus wasn't able to do much there. Mark 6, verse 5. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. I would like to invite the band to come up and we're going to close out here with a few thoughts. See, there's a, a huge difference between reaching out for Jesus and putting your faith in Jesus. Reaching for Jesus can be an act of faith, but he knows we're there and he responds. See, we each carry our own burdens. They can be physical. They can be emotional. Maybe they're spiritual. You know, we face difficulties that may seem insurmountable, causing us to feel isolated, lost, or without hope. But we must remember that Jesus is waiting, and he stands there waiting to receive us with open arms. And he offers healing, peace, and restoration for all who approach him in faith. My kids, uh, especially my youngest, he's crazy. <laughs> but he does this thing where whenever he sees me, he's like a bull. He just runs straight towards me. He wants to tackle me. <laughs> and sometimes I'll point to him. I'm like, hey, buddy. And he's like, Aah! he just starts running just straight towards me. And that's never going to get old. Never. You see, the reason why he does that is because he knows that I'm going to catch him. He knows that I'm going to be there for him. Always. See, our walk can be a lot like that. Maybe we don't know where we're running to. Maybe we're just looking to run somewhere, to someone, to something. Right? And even in our moments of desperation and need, what do we do? Who do we run to? 
through this story, what we see is that God is moved in action by our faith. So when darkness and chaos comes, you have hope. May that hope, may that faith be our anchor, guiding us through the storms in life and leading us to experience the profound love that only Jesus has to offer. Pray with me. Father, it's through these stories of you that we get to see, we get to catch a glimpse of the moment, what it's like to be your sons and daughters. God, we all go through our own moments of desperation and need. Some of that may be physical, emotional, spiritual. But God, you're there for us. In those times of need, we can reach out to you. And we know that you walk alongside of us. And so we're so grateful for your son, Jesus. We're so grateful for, for you. God, because you take away all that shame. You are love. So I pray for that person that's here that needs that, for this community, to be a community that can support those that are in need, that we would be encouraged, we would be motivated and inspired by you, and that through these stories, God, we would live another day walking with you, following you, seeing you for who you are, and helping others to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And so it's in your name we pray. Amen.